from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, September 27th. With us is David Remnick, editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Radio Hour. Um, David's latest comment in The New Yorker is a piece with the headline, The Washington Gerontocracy. And then it says, the prospect of a presidential election as a contest of the ancients is not a heartening one, and the anxieties it provokes cannot be dismissed as ageism. So, David, would you address um, that subhead right away? Because we already have callers who want to say, hey, that's ageism. No, I believe me. Let me just say this. As someone who's about to get turn a certain age that allows me to get a cheaper ride on the subway. Um, we all grow older. It's, we all grow older in different ways, but toward, toward, toward the same end. I mean, this is reality. And being young is no guarantee of being wise. Um, and there's no, none of these things are guaranteed. You know, John F. Kennedy was had great qualities. He also stumbled into the Bay of Pigs. Was that because of his callow inexperience or, or what? I, it's hard to say. You know, this piece, I should point out, concludes with saying, given the choice we have, Joe Biden has been, in many ways, an excellent president. I think when it comes to um, economic policy, um, uh, Legislation passed despite ferocious opposition. Um, I think his handling of foreign policy, particularly the Russia's invasion and war against Ukraine, has been skillful, mature. Um, I, 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 there's a lot of things to be said about Joe Biden. And in the end, if the choice is Joe Biden and Donald Trump, to me personally, personally, there is no choice. You have Donald Trump, who fomented insurrection, to say nothing of all kinds of illegalities and, you know, lunacy and hatred and bigotry. All, all, there's just no comparison. You have one choice that's unimaginably horrible. And then the other choice where the downside is the uncertainty. It's not personal to me. I'm not making this up. Joe Biden is you know, it's going to be 82 when the election rolls around. That is not, that is of a great concern to a lot of people. And young people in particular are alarmed by that. And many of them are alienated by that. We see that reflected in the numbers. This is not David Remnick making this up. It's 70%. Uh, The statistics are in the piece. The, The polls, insofar as they're reliable, are in the piece. So that's the conclusion. I just think it's something we have to wrestle with. We have to wrestle with this. And I think our political culture um, is so toxic and, and so unattractive to so many young people that you uh, don't have a lot of young people that want to get into this. I so am, I, it's I, something I, that needs discussion and really wrestling mm-hmm. with. Um, and I'll get in a minute into your analogy with the waning days of the Soviet Union. But let me play one minute from a New Yorker Radio Hour interview that I heard you do earlier this year. I was listening 10 a.m. Saturday morning and on came your interview with gerontologist Jack Rowe. 
and you were talking about Biden, and we pick it up with one of your questions. When Biden mistakenly asks if a deceased congresswoman is in the audience, including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here. Or he appears to doze off at a, at a meeting or he falls off his bike or trips while boarding Air Force One and on and on and on. Yeah. You think, what the hell? That, that's irrelevant. I think I, that's what 80-year-olds do. Am I surprised to see that? No. Would I put him in the rehab unit? No. I don't believe that what we see, which is attributable to his age, right. is likely to importantly impair his function as president of the United States. And I think he probably has some other attributes that certainly mitigate any adverse effect of what we see. On balance, I think he's a very successful and fortunate 80-year-old. Probably the first time that gerontologist Jack Rowe had a bass and synth track under one of his comments. Um, <laughs> but in that interview, I felt like you were buying Jack Rowe's take. Now you're saying to be concerned. Maybe you just explained it in your previous answer, but are they consistent? I think they are consistent. And I would say that in the same radio hour, Jane Mayer, who's in her 60s and, and uh, who writes for The New Yorker, and Jill Lepore, whose age I don't know, uh, but, you know, she's, uh, I don't know, late 40s, or I, I think, um, you know, had different things to say. You know, I, I, it, it is not for an individual. Look, Jack Rowe is telling you the science. And what he's saying is that if you are fortunate enough to come from a uh, well-to-do background, meaning good medical care, educated, so on and so forth, and your demographic, you know, allows you to get the optimal health care, which, of course, is a separate conversation and the disgustingness of those inequities. And if you reach 80 in decent health, as, as Joe Biden has, your chances of being, becoming 90 are excellent. But we're talking about the presidency. We're talking about everybody watching every step you take. We're talking about perception as well as reality. We're talking about a political race in which perception means a lot as well as reality. That doesn't mean that I therefore conclude that Joe Biden should get the hell out of the race. It doesn't mean I conclude that I, I'm going to go for Donald Trump, who's what comes out of his mouth is so much is, is, is not just the occasional forgetting of a name, but absolutely disgusting on a daily basis. Most recently, his wonderful comments about liberal Jews on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it's beyond outrageous. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that it, there is a political danger, a political danger without renewal and uh, younger people in politics. And this choice that we have of Joe Biden, look, if Joe Biden were running with the same record and he were 15 years younger, he would be miles ahead of Trump or anyone else based on his record. That, that, that's my conclusion. Uh, but he's not. He's not. And the reason is not just because of the pullout from Afghanistan, which, which was a, a mess and was a big blow to his, his poll numbers. Some of it is concern about somebody who would be in his, 86 at the end of a second term. 
and to put that's this. That's just a fact. It's not, it's not something I'm making up. It's just that that's in every political discussion you have. And to put this like in, in the in the biggest think political context, uh, not to diminish what you're trying to write, you use the last days of the Soviet Union as a touchstone. You wrote a book about that era. What's similar that makes you concerned, not just about Joe Biden as an individual, but when you take the whole gerontocracy together, because I think this is your point, the McConnell plus Pelosi plus Trump plus Biden, et cetera, you're concerned about the decline of the country in a way that's going to outlive those individuals. I think there are differences. In other words, first of all, Brezhnev and Dropov and Chernyenko, who were in terrible shape, were also a good deal younger than Joe Biden, and a good deal younger, by the way, than 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 um, than Donald Trump. Left out of this conversation very often is Donald Trump's just a few years younger than Biden. But because of his bombast, his undeniable uh, energy, uh, people, and because of all the other rotten things he do does, we we rarely talk about him and, and age or the physical condition, which doesn't seem to be necessarily optimal either. Um, so it's, it tends to focus on Joe Biden because of the way he walks, which is perfectly natural at 80, but, but there it is, but there it is. It cannot be wished away. Marvin in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hello, Marvin. I mentioned earlier that, that, uh, you were calling to call the New Yorker cover uh, with the gerontocracy cartoon, the most ageist magazine cover you've ever seen. I'm curious, since I've already been talking to David for a little while about this, has he convinced you that this is legit journalism? No, it's convinced me that um, it's bad politics. And if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. Um, it's If you want to be concerned about stopping Donald Trump, who I, the analogy I would use as an historian is not the decline of the Soviet Union, but the coming to power of Adolf Hitler in Germany in 1933, a man who also had previously led, tried to lead an insurrection against the Weimar Republic. David is does a wonderful job. I love The New Yorker almost as much as the Brian Lear show. <laughs> but what he, what he's treating this election as if it's a normal election. Trump does not follow any rules, does not care about anything other than himself, and has half of the Republican Party acting as a cult. And David's not going to disagree with you on any of that, I don't think. But you know, David, Marvin, you want I, to I would, respond? I would, I, look, with, with respect, Marvin, I appreciate your comments and also what you said about The New Yorker. With real respect, I don't think that's true. Um, I, 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 from the first day of Trump coming into office, I wrote a piece called An American Tragedy, which basically des- described his election not as the triumph of you know, conservatism over liberalism or, you know, Romney, you know, out coming out ahead of Obama, if that had, you know, had that been the reality at that time, but as a national emergency and as an emergency. And I've written that 
so many times I, I can't count them and I and I so have others in the magazine. I don't think this is normal at all. I don't. But we but our journalism has to let's take that apart from the cover. We can talk about that in a second. Our journalism has to explore every reality in fact and put it in its proper context. Um, it, it can't hide from realities like polls that say that uh, you know a, a, an alarming number of Americans are concerned about Biden and age. That just is. I didn't create that. But that you know what? I, I'm going to jump in on that. And Marvin, thank you for your call. Keep calling us. Um, I heard a stat the other day on one of the political shows that mm -hmm. Obama was in similar territory in the polls, of course, for different reasons, this long before he was elected, pretty easily over Romney in 2012. The polls at this point in 2011 were similar to Biden's as the incumbent. So we yeah, can make a true. lot too much of, of the polls, right? Of course. Yeah, look, we're out. We're more than a year out from the election. So the Washington Post poll that just came out was such an outlier uh, that even the Washington Post described its own poll as an outlier, which had uh, which had Trump ahead by, by, I think, nine points or something like that. Yeah, that's right. But they are. You know, polls, we, we've certainly, if we've learned anything in the last decade, it's been the uh, diciness of polls. But I think it is worth raising the alarm about the closeness of this. Here's a guy with four indictments who fomented insurrection, whose who's, who's racism and bigotry and uh, skeezy business dealings and, and, and all of it is a matter of public record. And yet he is, by all accounts, completely outdistancing the Republican race. There doesn't seem to be a contest there unless something very, very dramatic happens. Nobody's going to watch this debate tonight except for journalists, for God's sake. Very few people. And in the general election, as it's shaping up now, it's alarmingly close because the country is so alarmingly close. That is, <laughs> there's nothing to be blasé about that. Nor is it reason to treat it as something, as, you're, as, as Marvin put it, as something normal. Let me get one more call in here. Our time has gone so fast. Steve in, Huts, in the Hudson Valley, you're on WNYC. Hi, Steve. Hey, Brian. Hi, David. Uh, David, I'm curious. You've got so much going on. I'm curious what your daily routine is. What's your process? What's, how do you prioritize things? I mean, do you make quick decisions? When do you get time to think? ponder that's such you know that's what the middle of the night is for i'm not Ouch. trying to i'm not trying you know i find taking walks showers that are longer than absolutely necessary um <laughs> you know I'm, I'm i'm reading a novel now uh by jonathan lethem who just um who just had a wonderful piece about borham hill so i i and he's going to be at the festival as i mentioned before so let my head go into some other area is a uh, a, a nice thing. So I I, I I find time to think, but it, it is I when people talk about you know how they prioritize and they have all these routines and I I, I can't relate to it. It's my day is more a little bit more chaotic than I, I suppose I, I would prefer, but that's that's the way it is. And in journalism, I'm not living a newspaper life the way I did 
a long time ago, but because we have the web, we do pay attention to the news in a kind of by the minute way, and you have to react to it. So it's, it's, it's more chaotic than I guess I'd like to admit. We're at the end of our schedule time. Let me extend by one question, unless you have an immediate appointment, because one of the other interviews that you did recently that I really like was on the New Yorker's Political Scene podcast. You interviewed Bob Woodward, mm. who we all know many of the things that he's done, including interviewing Donald Trump um, a bunch of times and then releasing recently what he calls the Trump tapes. I, I wonder what Woodward's take is and what yours is on how the honest media should cover Trump in this election cycle. Because on the one hand, we don't want to amplify lies and autocratic provocations by just repeating, oh, look what he said now. On the other, we don't want to ignore such a danger to the republic. On the third hand, about half of the American voters might prefer him to Biden. And can we dismiss that much of the public? So how do you come down and did Bob Woodward give you any insight on that? I think Bob Woodward, who, you know, is just beyond description in what he does as an investigative reporter. Um, I think I agree with, I, 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 well, I, I think, I think this, all those things that you can say can be true to some degree at the same time. In other words, we have to cover what he says. We can't pretend that it is not happening or we, or, buried under a rock, but if you don't cover it with scrutiny um, and context and rigor, then you're not doing your job. That's number one. Number two, I think the hardest thing for a lot of us, and I would bet for a lot of your listeners, a lot of our readers, people that come to the New Yorker Festival, whatever it is, it's very hard for a lot of those people to even understand why so many of their fellow brothers and sisters in America are willing to look past Donald Trump's uh, egregious, uh, you know, characteristics. Let's put it that way, and still vote for him. And trying to understand that, and at the same time, uh, not be namby pamby about it, um, and to see what effect it's had on the rest of politics, particularly on the rest of the Republican Party and the Republican electorate. Uh, is also a big part of what we have to be doing um, because there will be a day beyond Donald Trump and Trumpism will seems to be a, a fact of American life that will outlive him. Look at, look at the contenders in the race now. With rare exceptions, they're either trying to be more Trump than Trump or exactly like him with a, you know, as they used to say in Czechoslovakia, with a slightly more human face. That, that has been um, yet another um, deeply disturbing fact of, of American life. And we have to understand it. The last thing we can do, though, is somehow pretend it's not happening or um, not cover him. But it has to be done with intelligence, rigor, context, and a critical mind. David Remnick, editor of The New Yorker, host of The New Yorker Radio Hour. Always great to talk to you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. 
Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.